0: Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots podcast, The Final Whistle, brought to you by the Down to Play app. <laughs> Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today, the UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play.
1: Hello there, this is Ant Canavan from the Referee Forum and I'd like to welcome you to this audio version of Referees The Final Whistle podcast with Ant, Martin and Nathan. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please smash that follow button to make sure you never miss an episode. And don't forget, we've got a video version of the podcast you can find on YouTube and Facebook. Right then, hello folks. Welcome to episode 19 of Referees, the final whistle podcast with Ant Martin and Nathan. And today's guest uh, is again a little bit of refereeing royalty for you. Uh, his name is Richard Storey. Uh, currently, he's refereeing in the Republic of Ireland. But if you've heard of him before, it's probably because he made it onto the FIFA Assistant Referees panel during his time in Northern Ireland. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got onto that FIFA panel.
2: Oh, well, thanks very much for having me on folks um, probably just come on and speak yeah so I started refereeing when I was 16 years of age I'm 34 now uh, done a little bit of refereeing in Northern Ireland but quickly seen that there was uh, opportunities available on the assistant side of it so I decided to go down that route um, so at the tender age and 18 or 19 I think it was, I went on to our, the Irish Premier League as an assistant referee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent in, right up until I was 24 then I was nominated on to the FIFA. FIFA list in 2011. Um, and done nine years on the international panel. Um, was receiving appointments before I went on uh, in Europe, so thankfully I was happy with that. I done 56 matches in Europe and thoroughly enjoyed my time. And... Um, Had a lot of good games done. Six Europa League group stage matches done. The last thirty-two game done a number of a internationals in terms of World Cup qualifying games, um, European Championship games, and yeah, enjoyed the journey. Um, Met lots of people. uh, Done a lot of really really good matches, and yeah, looking forward. Now, going down the refereeing side of it, I'm looking forward to a new challenge in, in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland. Um, so, I've done probably 16 good years as an assistant. I'm ready now to go down the, the middle route, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that challenge. You said you, you made the, the, the panel at 24. Um, yeah,
1: that's that's phenomenal as a 24 year old you know that that's like a baby in the refereeing world in the officiating world did you feel like any yeah. any extra pressure from anyone going yeah oh, look at the young lad fifa list. what's going on here or was you like nah I'm, I'm flying check me out
2: no it's it's funny you should say that actually um the age that you can go on the list as an assistant is 23 as a referee is 25 um I I was receiving appointments in Europe from the age of 21, which is unheard of, probably was unheard of back then anyway. And yeah, I was always going out under the impression of I'm a lot younger than these guys, I have to impress. But in saying that, there was a lot of learning at at such a young age. Um, You know, I'm confident, but don't believe in American, but I'm confident but I maybe got a wee bit complacent between the ages of 22 and 23, because there was a gap in Northern Ireland. There was, a, there was, a, there was an extra badge available. Uh, there was a lot of people telling me, well, oh, you're going to go on. Um, you're a cert. Definitely going to happen. Um, but see that year, that year before I turned 23, that was probably my worst year in terms of my performances. Um, not that I wasn't doing any less work it was probably because people were telling it to me from all angles and I was putting too much pressure on myself maybe. Um, And actually the year that everyone thought I was going to go on at 23 I didn't actually get get on and I was absolutely gutted because I felt in the back of my mind I was thinking well there is there's one gap coming up now at the end of the year I've been going well up until this the shoe put me on. But that's where i went wrong think, thinking you know it's to get an international badge is is not a given not a given to anyone so that there was a state learning year for me between the ages of 22 and 23. um i we went on we went on a training camp with uh with the irish fa to holland to the football headquarters in holland and i, I remember it well um one of our old school uh, observers took me to the side and gave me a real dressing down. Was really honest with me. Was really honest with me. And at a young age, I was absolutely, it was actually after an evening meal and everyone was relaxing and everyone was, and I was that torn apart and I went to my bed and I didn't want to see anybody. And I was gutted and I was thinking to myself, when I go home, that's me finished. I'm going to give up. I was going through all that, sort of, I was at it, such a low. And then, funny, funny what's with it, the next morning we had our, obviously, we were getting up more than doing other things. Jacques Willenberg from Holland came in to give us a talk. And instead of giving us a talk, he put on, do you know the, the movie Kill the Referee? Yeah. He put on that, and that motivated me. In a strange sort of way, this might, this might sound stupid, seeing them guys at the Euros and thinking, that's international level. I, I want that. I want to be a wee piece of that. Maybe not at that level, but you know, as high as I can possibly go. So for me, the night before thinking I want to give up, I was now thinking, you know what, I'm gonna prove these guys wrong. I can do it. Um the observer to give me the dressing down. That was he later told me that was the response he wanted for me. That's why he was doing it. He wasn't doing it to to be mean, to be hateful, or to be anything else. He was doing it. Because he knew that in his words, he knew I was a strong enough character to bounce back from that and say I'm gonna prove these guys wrongs. And that observer, that was on the January or February of that year, and that server observer phoned me in October or October of the same year to tell me I was being nominated. And he was the one that was most most uh, pleased for me. Um so it had the effect on his part. But yeah, going on at twenty-four, sorry to goes away, away from the question there, it's extremely young, especially back, back in, tw- in the early 20, 20, 2011, you know, it's most most guys were were at 20s, early 30s, at least, before they got onto the FIFA list. So, it probably helped me from starting at such a young age.
3: Mm.
2: And, you know, I did put the work in, trained, done everything, crossed my T's and dotted my I's, and thankfully was fortunate enough to get that opportunity. So...
0: Obviously, you just mentioned it there, like, you know, you had a big sort of dressing down, but it was it was done with with love, I suppose, to try and get you to do better, because obviously there's saw the potential in you. But and, and obviously, just before we started recording here, we talked a, lo- a little bit about some of the mentors that you had, which I, I think probably you want to mention. And I want to know what kind of support did you have coming through, Did you, you know, particularly when... You talked about maybe getting bigger ideas when you were 21, 22 and, and trying to deal with that, you know, particularly from a sort of psychological perspective. What kind of support did you have within the Irish FA that, that really probably helped you to get to where you are? Obviously talking about the fifty plus uh, international games that you eventually ended up doing.
2: Yeah, no, don't get me wrong, the sport was very good. Uh, I think as as the years go on, the sports the sport gets better because people are learning from all angles, you know, whether it be psychological help, whether it be help with your fitness, whether it be help with your general referee. But back then, yes, there was development groups within each divisional association. So they were they were extremely useful. Um, and then uh, when you got to national level, um The best support I would say would probably from from your colleagues, the guys that have been there, you know, 10 years, 15 years, you know, the older guys in the panel and the more experienced guys, they were, you know, all the development groups in the world are brilliant, but I think the most valuable advice and experience and and learning you'll get is speaking to them guys, speaking to them through games, speaking to them after matches. If something goes wrong, don't bury your head in the sand, lift the phone, um, ask for advice. Don't be in denial. You know, maybe at a certain stage of your career, everyone's done it. You, you've made a mistake and you're trying to talk yourself out of it. You're trying to, for example, if you make a, an off-site call that's it's wrong, clearly wrong, you're trying to find a reason to make it right. And we've all done it. Don't do that. That'll be my advice to younger referees coming through. Realize you've got it wrong and think, how am I going to get this right the next time? So, yeah, to answer your question, Nathan. Um, Colleagues probably w- were the best help, especially yeah. me coming up at such a young age, because I was, at that stage, there's a lot more now, younger guys, but at that stage I was one of the only, I was the youngest on the whole panel, of, yeah. uh, of uh, even at national level, and the youngest by a good bit, so chat to the older guys, get the experience off them,
0: learn from them. I think it's a running theme and I think Martin and Ant will agree with me it's a running theme that we talked about in the last episode about working uh, working with certain colleagues as you come through particularly within the English system where you can be dueling and, and be an assistant on one league and be a referee on another league and, and actually learning from the people you're with and we had a conversation about comms and things mm-hmm. like that so I think I think that that's very much a consistent theme that, that we're seeing when we're talking to sort of expert referees like yourself that really one of the biggest things is is actually learning from your colleagues and I think that you know when you first come onto a supply league in England you could you could quite easily have that where you you start as a maybe a level seven or a level six and you're working with a level level four or a level three and and trying to, the message that I suppose we're all trying to put across is try and take as much as you can from them because it seems like you know. Top guys on FIFA and international level, is saying you know it's got to be the, the right way forward.
2: Absolutely, and, and not only that, there too, you can actually learn from guys who maybe aren't at the same level you in terms of being a lower level than you. Yeah. You can learn from everybody. You know, have an open mind. You know, look at you know, I, I I I love going out not so much now. Obviously, I can't with the COVID situation, but I love going out and watching local games, and I try and pick up something from the referee. <laughs> And you know, you know, you will always find something, some way, a really small thing, and it will improve you as a previous referee. Yeah, it's interesting because
3: one of the things we were talking before we started recording this is about, you know, a little nation in inverted commas uh, uh, of Northern Ireland you know smashing it on the on the European stage like you were with your, with your team and I think I think it's great credit to be able to go out there and always your own like you have and I know we've had people like Alan Snoddy and I always been a big influence on you someone that, that uh, us three really admire uh, Alan and what he's achieved and one of the things that struck me is when you're going to the your normal one of the mill games at home in Northern Ireland you're not going to, get the, going to get the attendances that you get at these games that you're going to see in Europe. How did you find the acclimatisation to that?
2: Uh, don't get me wrong, it was difficult to begin with. Um, yeah, as, as you said, we, we were from a small nation and we we were holding our own at, a, at, a, at a quite a high level in Europe. Um, but I, as I was, I was I'm going to say now, without sounding too confident, I um, we felt at the time, we were every bit as good as the English referees, as a German referee team, as an Italian referee team. And that might sound ridiculous to some people, but how are the guys from Northern Ireland? Every bit as good. We were putting, like, we are part-time referees. I work a full-time job. I train five times a week. I study a laws of the game. I do every bit as much work, I believe, as a full-time referee does. And, and we, we were there on merit. So we just have, you know, English referees have, have probably the best product in the world in, ter- in terms of the Premier League. Premier, Premier league. Um, we had our Premier League. Our Premier League, in our eyes, is, is the best league in the world. Might be as high a level, but a game of football is a game of football. If you put the same work and the same effort into it, that's why I'm saying, without sounding too, hopefully not sounding too arrogant, that we felt we were every bit as as the bigger nation referees.
3: Well, it's interesting because when we had Glattenberg on um, Mark Glattenberg he's, he's one of the things he touched on is exactly what you just said and he says that says you know, I might come across as arrogance but I'm confident I, I'm, I believe in my ability and I think you've got to I think you've got to you know, we said you've got to own your mistakes you got to own what you win you own your bonuses you own the appointments and I think I've seen it. We've seen the quality of what you've produced and the team you were with, and I think I think you've got to have a bit of that. And Clats touched on it about you know if you haven't got a little bit about yeah, these these players are going to eat you up they no, just going to eat you up, and every, it's, every you know, it it's it's a it's a good balance. And I think i I'm, yeah. I, I think you you're doing yourself a, a disservice there. I, mean, I think I think you're more than capable, and you're more, more than you know Sorry, I'm just right just really down, you know. Sorry, i just
2: realised I didn't actually answer your question. Your question was how did they go from doing a game in front of two thousand, and from the game in front of fifty thousand? Do you know what? It was in a strange sort of way maybe easier in front of fifty thousand than it was two thousand, or two hundred, or five hundred. Because you can hear specific comments from the crowd of 200 or 500, whereas you just hear a big noise. And you know what? Seeing the whistle goes, you're not focused in the match. You don't really hear anything. Mm. You enjoy the whole, seeing the big games, you enjoy the whole, the big games, every game's a big game, sorry. Um, but I mean, European games and big stadiums in front of 40, 30, 40, 50,000 people. You enjoy the whole pre-match and post-match and you can see the media uh, presence, and you just know it's a big deal. But you see when the whistle blows, the first whistle blows, it's any other game of football. You do what you do at home, you do what you do, you do what you have been doing for years leading up to that. So um, possibly easier. Pressure might have been a bit greater, um, but in terms of the actual moment, possibly easier in front of a bigger
0: crowd than a smaller crowd. Can I, can I supplement the question that Martin's just asked there? Because I, I, I'm interested to know about the, when you go to a big, you know, if you talk about big crowds, you go to a big place. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, obviously you were working with Arnold when he was struck by a missile in, in uh, was it Romania? And I, I want to know kind of what were you going through, what was going through your mind at that stage when obviously that happened and you're in a big crowd and it's obviously a hostile atmosphere. What, what How did you deal with that and what was the kind of mindset around that?
2: I actually wasn't on that game, Nathan. Um, you see, we were we were predominantly on a team uh, throughout the journey in terms of uh, on our Ar- time up to Cat One. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, all your league games, like I done probably ninety five percent of the matches with Arnold mm-hmm. Hunter. But then, unfortunately, Arnold got demoted to Cat Two, yeah. and when that happened, then the team was sort of split a wee bit. So I was right. sent to work with another referee, as was maybe the other system, then. So things, things, that was actually, there was a new, uh, who's now a FIFA referee uh, from Northern Ireland, Jamie Robinson. He was fourth official, but he wasn't FIFA at the time, but, but that happened to um, And there was there was a fairly, there was an experienced assistant referee, but, but the, other, uh, the other assistant referee was fairly new on the international panel. So having spoken to the boys, it was an extremely difficult situation. Um, the police actually in Romania um, had told the team of referees I'm uh, sorry told, uh, by what I'm told sorry they, they told the, the, the UEFA delegate this game doesn't finish there's going to be big riots so the team of referees were put under immense pressure to finish that game thankfully that happened uh, it wasn't a good thing but it was never a good time for that to happen but it happened with only a, a minute or two to spare in the match so Jamie Robinson done very well to go on and get that game finished so he did
1: that's mad that the the police are like Mm. yeah no you don't have the choice Mm. to abandon the game that's mad obviously they did have the the choice to abandon it but to say these are the repercussions guaranteed if you if you decide to abandon the game that's that like you say that amount of pressure on those officials
2: wow the atmosphere we talked about atmosphere earlier on the atmosphere in uh, Eastern Europe, for example, a lot of Eastern Europe, com- Eastern European countries, I loved because it was really, really intense. Mm. Completely different atmosphere to what you might get in uh, Ireland, England, France, you know, the Western part of Europe. Um, it was just madness. You had, the stadiums looked like they're on fire. You know, we have yeah, the whole place bouncing. You know, it's it's just life or death and we to them to the fans, you know, and it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's good when, when something that like, unfortunately would happen to Ireland doesn't happen. It's, it, it's good in terms of you come away with such a buzz after you're know, refereeing that environment and it's just, it's great.
1: In terms okay. of walking into that environment as a match official, I know that you, you can't let it intimidate you and, and put anything, in, you know, up you in terms of, you know, a bias or, or you know, anything like mm-hmm. that. But surely... There was something there, you walk into that and it is a cauldron of potentially hostile energy.
2: Is it something you... You're only human, you're only human. Um, yeah. I would say see pre-match, you're actually, you're going into the whole. See when you're checking your pitch and you're going, walking in the stadium, right? And you're, you're trying to show, we talked about confidence earlier on. You're trying to show ultimate confidence. You're walking around that pitch with your head high and your shoulders out, like you are the man, if that makes sense. That's not to be arrogant, that's to be, I'm in control before the game even starts. So you're actually trying to put on, and maybe an act as such, in terms of, you know you're capable of the job, but you have to show that wee bit extra in certain certain stadiums, in certain places in the world, to show that, you know what, you're ready for this. See when the whistle goes, it is absolutely no barren. Absolutely no barren. You hear noises and you hear, of course you hear, you know, you're gonna hear things, but you're one hundred percent, it's hard to describe the amount of focus you have in, in such a high intense game mm. that you may have to give three penalties against the home side later on in the match. You may have to give um disallowed gold goal for our side that could have won the game for the home match in the very last minute. If that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do all day long because that's what you're there inclined to do.
3: Mm. And, and we were talking also about, um, you did one of the biggest games that's gone on in Ireland for a long time and you did a friendly in Dublin with Ireland against England. What, what an event that must have been.
2: I did. And I was saying that, that game sort of came out of chance. Um, I got married in 2015 so I was actually on the honeymoon. Uh, it was May and we had received a European appointment in the European Championship qualifiers for the beginning of June, in the Ukraine, but our league in Northern Ireland had stopped five, maybe four or five weeks previous to that. So, what happens quite regularly between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is, eh, because in the Republic of Ireland there's a, there's a summer league and in the Northern Ireland there's a winter league. For European matches, we might give each other a game to warm to warm up for the European game. So, cut a long story short, we asked the FA and the Republic of Ireland for a match to warm us up for going out to the Ukraine. And we were supposed to we were actually down to do a game in the second tier in the Republic of Ireland, in the West of Ireland, the Galway on the Friday night. Now I was due to come home from honeymoon on the Thursday. So I was thinking, Well, I'm gonna be tired for this one. You know, and it's all away, <laughs> oh, away, it's away out in the middle of nowhere. It's probably three hours away from us, three and a half hours away, you know. And, I was thinking, right, okay, it's, we need a match, but we'll have to do it. But anyway, Arnold, he phoned me on the, the day before I was due from Home for Money he says, we're not going to Galway now. Uh, we have a match in Dublin on Sunday, but we'll have to go down on Saturday night. And I went, right, okay. And I says, who is it? And he says, I can't tell you, because there's going to be a press release very soon and I can't tell anybody. I've been t- strictly told not to tell anybody. I said, come on, Arnie, who is it? And he wouldn't tell me. So I got off the phone and got to Google, games in dublin on sunday because it didn't dawn on me there's no way that match we're referees from northern ireland i thought we wouldn't have been allowed to do that much but it was a friendly fixer so i was thinking games in dublin on sunday and i was starting to think why do i have to go down on saturday night because dublin's only two hours down the road um so then the only game that was coming up was republic of ireland england and i was thinking no way yes so i text him is it the republic of ireland england <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> text me back, don't say a word. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was on, I was on cloud nine I was in, the, I was in the middle of a casino in Las Vegas, you know, that was our last stop in, in uh-huh. Honeymoon and I was thinking, God, this is brilliant. I'm going to be doing this. So I hit myself for the last, last few hours. I was, I was in Vegas and I got home on Friday. We went down on Saturday evening and that whole experience was just surreal. For the simple reason is the whole, spectacle of it. was in, it was the first time England were back in Dublin since the whole Troubles mm. in the 90s. And you know, and the media there was insane. It was more than I had ever seen any game. Um, you know, we were staying in a hotel and I come out of my hotel room and out of the next hotel uh, the next room beside me, Paul Scholes walked out of. And I he was working for ATV on the match. And I was saying just going in the hotel lobby and I was saying, God rest him to Jack Charlton and you know, guys that got there are thinking, this is a big deal, like, and really enjoyed the whole pre-match, um, you know, walking out onto the pitch. And, no, sorry, I've had, I'm going to tell a wee story before that. Um, went to get the teams out for their pre-match check in the tunnel a few minutes beforehand, so I went to the Republic of Ireland team, and Royal King gave me a serious mouthful in terms of getting out, you know, and I, I was a big Man United fan growing up, and he was my idol, and I thought this was great. It's the only time I ever thought, Brian, you know, I, didn't, I didn't care what he said to me. And actually, Martin O'Neill made, it. Martin O'Neill, Martin O'Neill made a joke of me saying, it's all right, he speaks to all us Northerners like that. You know? And then, you know, just it was just surreal. And then we walked the teams out. And the whole pre-match was, you know, they brought the president of Ireland out to introduce everyone. And I looked at and team, Ian Rooney. And I looked at another and team, John O'Shea. And these are guys who are watching a match today, every Saturday night and you're thinking that normally when you go out, you have, to have I have done a lot of really big games previous to that but you're going out to, to do teams in Russia and teams and you're not seeing the players as regularly Yeah. but these are guys that you've seen week in week out on the TV and you're thinking I wasn't starstruck because you knew I had a job to do but I was thinking this is brilliant I gonna, I'm, and then I remember during the game I flagged Wayne off for offside and he was you know and again me an ex United and fan and I'm thinking this is but thankfully the game went without problems. It was actually, it was actually quite a drab game. It was, after it all, it was nil Um, but in saying that, it didn't take away from the memories. And another good thing, Dermot Gallagher spent his whole time with us because he's, I'm sure you know, he's a big Ireland, Republic of Ireland fan mm-hmm. actually. And he spent his whole time with us and I have a funny story, I don't know whether I should tell or not, but I'm going to, uh, <laughs> uh, after the match, there was a few. Uh, we were driving up the road home. We were going to drive up the road home. We went for a meal uh, after the game with our liaison officer, who's Paddy Daly from the south. who be well known in the refereeing circles uh, all across the world. And Dermot Gallagher. And they had a few. Of course, did a few Guinnesses uh, with their meal. And after the match, we were uh, we were driving. And Paddy says, "Would you mind? Would you mind leaving me off at home and Dermot off at his brother's house? Because his brother lives in Dublin." So we're like, yeah, no problem, no problem at all. And so in you know, my picture scene. we tro- took uh, what was it? We hired civic. Civic. Yeah. So uh, Aaron and Gareth, the other assistant, in the front seat, and me dropped them in, in the middle of Dermot Gallagher and Paddy Daly in the back seat. So that Paddy dropped off, and Paddy says to Dermot, "Are you sure you know where you're going? Like you're, you know, you said, you've been here a few times. You know how to get to your brothers. Oh, I no problem, hundred percent. each of them had a few pints in them, like, and then." Uh, so, Dermot starts to direct us, you know, take a left, take a right, and we realise, oh, hold on a second, there's Holka Park again. We've we'll, we'll been past that three times. <laughs> and we we'll, we'll pretty quickly realise he doesn't have a clue where he's going here. And uh, the next minute we we'll stopped the, gu- we'll stop the guards, which is a place in the south of Ireland, to ask for directions. And the guardy officer came over and picked his head into the window. Oh, look, it's Dermot Gallagher. Calls his mate over. But take Dermot Gallagher out to get out of the car for selfies and with the police. <laughs> and you're thinking, this is this is maybe at a eleven o'clock at night, but it was great crack. It was great fun and things. that got there, you know, we you know, and, and we eventually got Dermot back to his brother's house. <laughs> 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 you no, know, that whole experience, that whole experience, Martin was um, was fantastic, and it's one that will live in my memory for a long time. Yeah, because
3: because Clat again, he he talked about the challenges of, of that. Of like, say, if, if if having to manage people that are multi-millionaires, very well known, you know that does come with its with its challenges. No matter what sort of person you are, it's a it's a challenge and a half, mate. Yeah,
2: absolutely. There is, there is. You have to, and you know, you have different characters, obviously, on the pitch. And as I say, you have multi-millionaires on the pitch you're refereeing, but. At the same time, I think we're all trained to, to to put that in the back of your mind where possible. There's ways of managing them, but put it back in your mind in terms of you have to make a decision against them. You make a decision against them. It's um. It doesn't matter if they're a player on 250 grand a week against a player on five like, hundred. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter in a referee's head. Mm. A referee has to be impartial. But yeah, that is right. Absolutely right. It's it's finding a way to manage each individual is a skill in itself. What no, did you hear I, over the headphones? No, like that helped you as a referee.
3: Internationally, we've said about um, as you climb the ladder, I always yeah. felt that, you know, when you're a liner and you listen off the ref and you laying you bring little things, little nuggets, and you get acclimatised to it. On the international yeah. stage, that's just another level again, isn't it? To help you as yeah, a
2: absolutely. absolutely. No, you learn a lot. I always tell people who are dead set against lining. Give it a try for a while because you will learn so much so much in terms of your refereeing by being on the line you'll pick so much up from different referees but yeah you hear here you hear all sorts especially in the, in the irish league you know you hear all sorts of ways of management <laughs> different referees different personalities you'll have a referee that is laid back and won't say too much and then you'll have another referee that might be the best word to describe industrial um to you know sometimes it works sometimes it works for certain referees but sometimes it doesn't but yeah you learn you learn so much Martin Uh, on the European level it's sometimes hard to hear yeah you have to be really clear and and we would always say repeat 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 so you say everything three times so if you're given an offside decision on the line you're going offside 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 and you're saying it as clearly as you can Mm. but you have to keep it to minimal with communication you know too much is Jumbo. Yeah, we yeah, have a similar have problem have with Martin on the podcast.
3: Exactly, I'm going to say it three times. <laughs> so it bleeding three times. Well, one of the things that jumped out says me as you were talking, and if I'm putting you on the spot, then we'll cut it out. But there's a there was a famous clip of an Irish referee going, "Calm the fuck down, Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know him? It was the I yeah, oh, Well, I've worked with him on many
2: occasions. Andrew David, he's um, like he's a top lad. He, he looks a, 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 a top was, lad. He looks a top Put him in such well, with
3: him. Put us in such with him. i love to have him on.
2: Oh well, I will. No problem. Um, no, he's, to be honest with you, I'll be able to say otherwise. That, that's probably mild for <laughs> some, there's there's one or two referees in particular that if you heard the referee, <laughs> you'd think. But again, that's their state. Uh, I personally wouldn't advise it in terms of younger referees coming through. Wouldn't advise using swear words using because I feel you're setting yourself up. But for one or two referees over here, it works. I have to be honest. There's one guy in particular, and he he commands full respect by every player on that pitch every time he goes out. And he is as industrial as the come.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it works for some people, but I personally wouldn't advise it. So don't know that's me to sit on the front bit. But
1: <laughs> That's another theme that keeps cu- cropping up on the podcast as well is referees who who make naughty words on the field of play and obviously we 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 say the same thing yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't lead with it i wouldn't say right i've just qualified fuck you fuck you fuck you but but if you've been doing it a few years give it a go
0: see if it works for you no, I think we alluded to it right at the beginning of the of the piece here, and obviously we're just been talking about referees and the way that referees talk and, and the way that referees go about the business. And my question to you, probably now, is new, really exciting project. Uh, we talked about it just before we, we came on about the new uh, League of Ireland season starting in um, in March, and you must be really looking forward to that. But obviously, we talked about how how hard you worked. You know, you're saying you're almost a full time referee in terms of the way you train and work in the way that you train and work how much has that changed since you've gone from being an assistant to being a referee in terms of your mindset around training preparing for games all of these things um, and obviously you must have learned a lot from the likes of Arnold and others that you work with as, as you got ready for this position and maybe even spoken to them about making this change and And so I'm kind of just interested to understand how things have changed for you now you view yourself as as the man in the middle
2: yeah absolutely um, yeah I, I'm actually surprised and what I'm about to say in terms of uh, Types of training has changed massively. Um, now, initially I, I had applied to to do the transfer uh, back in, I think it was June last year. And I haven't got the chance to get into the League of Ireland yet. I've done a couple of youth games for, for, for COVID reasons. Um, you know, I am getting myself in terms of, in terms of, um, work. I have done an incredibly, I've done a lot, I've done, I've still done probably four or five sessions a week in, in terms of fitness as an assistant.
0: Yeah.
2: But were they the same types of sessions as I'm doing now? Absolutely not. Um, I'm doing, I'm still one thing. I was never very good at, which I should have been was strength training. So I've started doing quite a bit, but well not quite a bit. I'm started applying more strength training into my routine and my high intensity sessions are even higher. In terms of what because you know as an assistant you shouldn't be saying this because i never thankfully never thought like that throughout my career um you you need to be very sharp off your feet in terms of very quick but in terms of your um in terms of your stamina level, stamina levels stamina levels is what i was looking for um probably you don't need to be as high as what to do for a referee because the referee covers double the amount of ground. Yeah. So I am in the frame of mind now where whenever I get started in the League of Ireland, which I'm very excited about, um, once I get past my fitness test, which is hopefully in a couple of weeks, it was supposed to be last week, but I was put back because of COVID obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be caught out in my fitness. Yeah, You know, if after three, four months' time, if people come to me and say you're a bad referee because you can't recognise fouls, which hopefully they don't do either, that's fair enough. But if they come to me and say you're not good enough because of your fitness, I will kick myself. And I don't want to be that person. So I'm I'm trying to get myself now ready to the optimal level of fitness. Um, so I have up my fitness training slightly. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming in here, I have two young children. I work 40 hours a week as a butcher. I have two young children. i a three months old. Girl and a three-year-old boy, and I'm coming in a few evenings a week when I'm doing the training. I'm coming in and getting them down, and getting them to bed, and getting them fed, and getting them changed. And I'm going out. I'm going out training, or I'm going to do a strength, uh, strength training or weight training in the living room, or I'm going to out to the shed to the treadmill at maybe half eleven at night,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm doing a full hour. You have to find the time. So I'm putting, you know, I'm putting the effort in. Um, because I don't want to be called out and I, and I am I'm really excited but I'm really excited with the because really my, my time in Northern Ireland was fantastic you know my, the games that I got in Europe and, and my journey I could, couldn't have asked for any more um but this is a new chapter now yeah that was in the lining I'm now getting a chance in the middle and I'm really excited about the future so I want to be as prepared as I can
0: be going into it. Yeah. And mentally, you know, in terms of your preparation for, for refereeing games of sort of, of... sort of, yeah, all yeah, the angle of the angles, angles and that, goes into that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, no, but,
2: that's, that's... Again, that's, that's things that you want to pick up. And you'd be surprised in matches. Assistants actually help referees with that. Yeah. You don't realise it. Um, once you get... Obviously, I'd advise at the start, especially when people start using communication systems, get the basics right. You know, get your files and communicate the basics. But once you've been working on the team for a number of years, you know, if I'm saying the referee is running too central down the pitch, I'm I'm, I'm getting in his ear. Get left, get left, get left. So I would argue assistants know as much about positioning for a referee as a referee does because... I've been there in every single changing room that Arnie's been there after after every match that he's done or any other referee. And I've listened to the advice that he's getting, not only the advice that I'm getting. Yeah. And I took it on board. Not because I was thinking about my future,
3: mm.
2: but because I was thinking at that time, I am going to listen because I want to be another set of ears for him in case he's missed
0: anything. And yeah. I want to help him going forward. Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, Obviously, I think one of the things I always laugh at when I started as well with, with referees at higher level was always about the way you manage players because the referee would say, I can run away and you can't. And, uh, and I think that's one of the must be one of the key considerations for you when it comes to, to management. I'm sure you've been surrounded after a tight offside or whatever it's been before, but I think the way you're going to manage players now must be, must make, it's going to be completely different.
2: Oh, I don't that, that side of it now. Hopefully, I'll let the call it out, but that side of it doesn't worry me because I'm confident that I have the uh, management skills and mentality yeah. to deal with that. And um, that there now, I'm saying that it will always be in, you, you always think about it and you always think, you know, we study things. You actually, I do a lot of imagery in my mind leading up to a match. If something happens and I have to call these two guys over, and this is a couple of days before the match, I'm thinking, I like guess. Right, what, what am I going to say to these guys? What, what am I going to say to players? Because you have to be very careful what you say. Mm. Because Mark Datenberg alluded to in, in, in the podcast you did with him about the whistle. The yeah. whistle can can have a lot of effect. Your voice can too, in my opinion. Mm. So I was thinking of every single scenario that could possibly come up. Now, you might not get everyone, and I was thinking, right, what happens if I get a mass crawl, Right. So you're thinking maybe you get your, your three different VN angles, you're telling your assistants to get your different VN yeah. angles. But also you're saying, right, what happens if there is a small thing, a bit of pushing and shoving in the, the penalty area before a corner's coming in? Mm. When I'm pulling them guys out, what am I going to say to them? Yeah. You know, so you're you're trying your best to prepare for that as well as you are for the physical
0: side of it. And the biggest yeah. question that I know that Martin and Ant will be desperate for me to ask is have you decided what colour whistle you're gonna use yet? Black or yellow? Oh brilliant.
1: I guarantee you Right. you, you did the, the same thing I, to Clattenberg as well. I bet you've you've stitched me up again. You have I've been I have stitched be up. You have, I've been stitched up again. I don't know if he's honest.
2: I have to be honest. I do own a nice neon yellow one, but I will never use it.
1: Why not? What a waste of a brilliantly coloured whistle.
3: <laughs> My <laughs> Listen, I've, got a, I've got a better question right what's the best way to cook a steak you're a butcher I know you're a chef. <laughs> yeah go
2: on you're a actually butcher. go on come on best way to cook a steak anything more than medium and you're destroying it amen absolutely oh, amen anything more than medium you're destroying it um, depends on the size hot pan three minutes either side perfect
3: Brilliant. And would you do what Rocky did and like hang up a carcass and like punch it when you're training and stuff? I was training back,
2: and knocking
3: me out. <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> <laughs> I And your brothers, a, your brothers a, a, yeah. a referee, and your brother did did really well on a scene as well.
2: Yeah, he was, and that was that was another highlight of of my journey as well. He was uh, he's younger than me, and he was coming through as a referee. I got him into it, obviously, and. Um, he took a wee head swagger when he got when he got onto the Premier League as an assistant. He done I think he done one year and then he took a wee head swagger of going and playing again. And he was never going to make it as a player, but thankfully, then that only that only lasted about a year and he came back on and he, could, he was able to get back on to the assistant list in Premier League level. And first appointment with him in Europe was a special moment. it was, and it was. We went to Malta. now it was quite nice because. The way the flights worked out, it was during when was it? 2014, it was the World Cup was on. And the way the flights worked out, we were there like three days before the match. So we were a week in Malta with one game. Oh, wow. I would always say be professional, 100% professional at the job you have to do, but also enjoy yourself. Because you have to enjoy yourself. We're here. I'm refereeing in Northern Ireland because I enjoy it. It's not a profession for me. I wish it was. But I'm refereeing because I enjoy it. So whenever I got them trips, I made sure to enjoy them. Now, I always put the match first. Always done everything I had to do. But when I got a chance, laying laying out the sun there in Malta after a game, why not? Crack advice. Absolutely. Yeah, my brother, um, I ended up doing a number of matches with him um, in Europe. Uh, He would have... Whenever uh, Arnie's other assistant was uh, is a, is a teacher or what as is a, is a teacher, and uh, so there was certain times where he wasn't able to fulfil an appointment in Europe. So then, quite often, David was drafted in on merit because he was one of the top guys, um, and that was just brilliant. You know, the two of us got out and you know growing up together, obviously, and not only that, were not only brothers, were very you know very close brothers. So to see that there happen, or to see that there at the time, that's one thing I, I'm going to miss, and I know I'll never get back again. No, but well, it's so brilliant that, got that. No one could ever take that away from you. Is there
3: any? Yeah. Has there ever been any brothers that's worked together on the European scene as match officials?
2: Not anymore. i don't know. But did Andy and Bobby Madley? Maybe I'm not sure. I know they. No, maybe not. I can't. I can't think. Of it. I know we have done an interview uh, with Dutch referee. Uh, a number of years ago and at that time he was he was actually trying to find out whether there was and I don't think he could yeah was but that Dick
3: sure be... was it Dick Yole? did Dick Yole have a brother Dick Yole, the Dutch referee was, that, was, that, was he one of them I mean, I'm I mean, not sure understand. if Bobby and Andy did anything I think Bobby was on there before Andy and then moved up and then Andy yeah. moved up I'm not sure if they were actually on the same game like that's Europe wise I'd I, I be I, we look into that that would be yeah, really I mean, interesting to know if yeah. there's ever been any brothers A FIFA level in any way, shape, or form, Or sisters. Fortunately, he's
2: stopped refereeing now, completely, David. Has he? Yeah, he he was, uh, he was unfortunate enough, he he came off the list this year and um, he's just to say that he's got uh, his partner, unfortunately, has just been diagnosed with MS Mm. at such a young age, so he's felt now, you know, he sacrificed, she sacrificed so much for him leading up to it, so he felt it was time, Mm. he enjoyed his journey and he's time to just walk away from him. And he's only what
0: is he 28, 29? so but here he had a fantastic journey as well. So at the time, was it was it a really good thing for you to, to have to have him not only on the domestic league but also working internationally with him? Did did it help oh. you, you think did, where you were pushing each other with the competition that you had to to see who could kind of do the, the, the best job? Absolutely. It was always healthy competition
2: between me and David. Um, There was never any, and I can hand and heart say, there was never any jealousy between me and him. In fact, if anything, I would have preferred to see him getting, and that's the truth, and I think he would probably say the same, uh, getting a bigger bigger appointment than me. But, yeah, it was very healthy competition, but it was good because, yeah, you're always going to trust your colleagues. You're always going to trust your colleagues, especially if you're working together a long time. But your brother, you know that that's... That's pure trust. That's 100%. Yeah. You know, you know. So, you know, if God forbid something happened or, you know, you would be there to help each other out. Or not only out there, If didn't, things didn't go to plan on a match or something. It was great to have that brother on the phone to say, look, I'm on a bit of a downer here. And he would always yeah. say something to me to bring me up and vice versa. You know, when
0: you weren't together, he was always the first one you'd ring on the way back. After Absolutely,
2: getting- and quite often enough we weren't together, especially, especially like when we were when we were going well in terms of Arnie's team. Um, David was very lonely. He was only literally—I don't think he was on the list when we were actually pushing on at that stage. Um, so it was quite often enough. Uh, David was working with maybe the. Potential so new FIFA referee, and and we were the more experienced team. Yeah. So there was quite often the way we were, we were going different games. We're actually living together for right up until obviously we're both mm. the Parkers and moved in together. Mm. And he could have been going one end of the country for a match, and I could have been going to another end of the country. Yeah, but, Yeah, and also you
3: also also because are the older brother. If something sets up on a game, you can blame him, like you do as a kid. If I I broke anything, just blame it on the younger one. Do you know what I mean? I think that's very handy, I think that should be recognised. Blame the younger one.
2: All day long. See, I was
3: going
1: to say, big picture, brilliant to have someone you can confide in to that degree. But on the smaller scale, like if my mum asked us both for help, and I'm the only one that turned up to like lift some heavy stuff, and he didn't because he had something else going on, I'd be fuming. Next time yeah. I saw him, it, yeah, it might be casual, but you two would, meet, you know, might be out on the line on Europe, and you're like, listen, dickhead, you, I know you wasn't doing yeah. anything else that day. You definitely could help. Ben's
3: guys, but he's Yeah. I'm going over there for the rest. Yeah, yeah, you've got benches. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, before we wrap up, mate, and this has been really, really good insight, the games at like Lazio, Villarreal, you know, mm-hmm. we mentioned the, the Ireland-England game, you know, yeah. Lazio, for God's sake, what was it like doing then?
2: I actually, Lazio was a very good game. It was, it was against a team in Russia that I can't remember the name of. That's really bad. But they, I actually had a, dis- a a goal against Atio in the very last minute of the match that would have won the game for them. Oh, really? Uh-huh, yeah, for offside. Um, so coming in, it, it, Italian teams in particular had a lot of entourage with them, like a lot of them, like 10 times more than anybody else. And coming in, I was the one went into the tunnel, Obviously, I was a senior assistant, so I was in at the tunnel. I got swamped, and thankfully, at that moment inside the tunnel, there was a big screen, and this was after the match. Thankfully, just at that moment, the replay was being shown, and I said, "Guys, please take a look." And thankfully, I got it right. <laughs> it <had a> <laughs> and everything was so. That was a, that was a really good moment but because in big games, like that there when you have to make big decisions. You are confident, but there's. If you're only human, there's always a wee thing in the back of your mind going, oh, what if? What if? Hmm. And more often than enough, you're right. But the odd time, you might be wrong. But that what makes you stronger. But that moment obviously coming in, you're thinking Lazio, big Italian, wee referee from Northern Ireland. All these things going through my head. They're going to blame me. Have I ruined this for us as a team? And you're only human. But thankfully, I was right. But we went back to the hotel that night and it was very lit. A lot of them games kick off in the Europa League at maybe nine, ten o'clock at night. So by the time you get back to the hotel, it could be uh, it could be 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. But they still insist that you have a meal because everywhere you go, you're, you're treated well. So we had a meal in the hotel, like crazy o'clock in the morning. And we always had a big tradition. Um, after the meal, no matter what time it was at night, we would go down to one person's room in the hotel and have one beer. One beer before we travel home, just to have a wee chin wag privately. So we were we were making our way down the, the hallway in the hotel, and this guy jumped out of the door of a room in his briefs and his vest, and we gave him glasses, and he says, "I'm such and such Italian media. Can I have an interview?" And this was at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I, already was a wee bit taken back, but he was nearly. From from where I was saying, I was thinking he was nearly going to go. Yeah, what do you want? What do you want to know? Yeah, and I'm going, Come on, you. Come in. I I more or less. It, we all more or less said, like we can't speak to media and strip down to the room. But like we things that got prop in your mind too. Lazio was fantastic. Villarreal, they got our first, we get word that we're going to do our first Europa League game, um, and that's what we were striving towards at that time to get into the groups. because that's where you know that's where they want to be. It's, first of all, Europa we League like, and Champions League. But when we found out we were getting an appointment, you know, it's the same at any level. You always look at the games and go, what, wonder what game we'll get? You know, when you find out, because the way it works in Europe is, you find out you have a match in the Europa League, but you don't be told where you're going until you get your flights, maybe three or four days beforehand. So that was maybe two weeks, two, two weeks before the Europa League game. So we were studying these games, where could it be? Villarreal is one game we thought, not a chance. You no, know, it was one of the Spanish La Liga team. First game, they're not going to send us air. We were looking at the smaller clubs, thinking, oh, when we find everyone at Villarreal. And, we were like, this is and me. it was at the Madrigal? It was at the Madrigal, yeah. Oh. And it was It was fantastic. It was, And thankfully, the game went really smoothly for us for our first game in the Europa League. Um, everything went really well. And, but it was just a whole... You know your friends asking you where are you going. I run out to do Valerio. What? You know because at that stage we had done a number of big games, but nothing that level. You know that was probably our first big, big, big one, and that was the start of that was the start of the, the journey for a couple of years. And unfortunately, it was. <laughs> wish I had it went on longer, but in saying that can't complain because we've done some fantastic matches we talked about
0: the great grounds what was the what was the greatest city that you visited
2: mm. Liverpool obviously he must have gone to Liverpool do you know what I really like Liverpool as a city but it's a shame about the football thing oh well <laughs> that's the end of the podcast thanks very much oh, yeah yeah, uh, yeah I'm sorry we've got his brother on next so we're going to get rid of him yeah we <laughs> <give> <laughs> no I really <laughs> like Liverpool as a city it's a lovely city so there's um, no cities I've been to a lot of these places um, Athens Surprisingly, I say Athens, because that's where probably all went wrong for us in a game that finished it for us. Uh, but Athens as a city is beautiful. Um, where else? Moscow. Beautiful city. And you know what? Lovely people. lovely. Lo- anywhere you go, you know, anywhere we went, we were... Kazakhstan, Ka- uh, there was a place in Kazakhstan uh, called Pavnagar And it was out of this world. It was... It, it, I always had an ambition too to referee outside of Europe now, up until that point I hadn't but I counted that country because another part of Europe but, it's almost uh, Asia almost. So most, it's almost most of Asia. it was Asia but then thankfully I got the opportunity after that to go to Saudi Arabia but, um, no Pavlodar was a city Athens was a city and I really enjoyed Bordeaux Bordeaux was lovely
0: Um, but there's there's so many there's so many you get the obligatory photo in red square Mm -hmm. yeah I did I did that's fantastic really
2: really spot
3: anyone else here who who wants to get into refereeing and you see the journey and you know we, we, we as a charity as Rev Support UK we we want to flash up that there's referee abuse out there, there's referee assault out there. We, we That's important to us so people can realise and prepare them for what might happen. But we'll always say there's some amazing opportunities being a match official, being a referee, being a system referee or line or as we like to call it. And it's just that we'll always be outweighed the bad by the good experience like this. And I think you've shown that. You've shown some great insights, some wonderful, wonderful, passionate insights to it achieved some amazing things not only for yourself but for the, the north of Ireland with your brother absolutely incredible and now you're moving on to, to refereeing in the south and I am sure the, boy, the boys will join us in we wish you all the best in that mate and this has been a cracker insight insights into you and just carry on using that black whistle and I'm sure you go from strength to strength
0: yeah, thanks yeah, for really having me. I really enjoyed again. it, Richard. Thanks very much for joining thanks, us.
3: Bitch. Well, Thank nice you very much. To
1: Cheers for sharing your stories and see you all on the next episode of Referees, the Final Whistle podcast.
0: It's simple get down to play today the uk's leading app for next game availability download down to play from the app store and google play this week's selk podcast was brought to you by down to play the simple app for next game availability <laughs>